Well, good morning, Life Fellowship. Good to see you today, right in the middle of vacation season. Summer is halfway over. If you're watching us on the internet, whether it's YouTube or Facebook or however you may find us, welcome. We're glad to have you with us as well today. But it's always good to be in church in the middle of a heat wave. So I'm glad you're here, and I'm glad to be able to be speaking to you this morning. My name is Dan. I'm one of the teaching pastors. Um, one of my areas of responsibility is kind of do some oversight of the finances. Uh, it's it's a part of my job description, has been since I got here 13 years ago, and uh, July's a big month for us, and, and you know, summertime, people say, oh, you probably just, just don't have much to do in the summertime. Actually, it's even busier than usual in the summertime, and July is when we end off our fiscal year. I just want to give you a brief, just kind of overview of things. We have actually have this Sunday and next Sunday left to be able to give toward the last fiscal year. Um, we're, we're, we've had a great year. We're finishing the black and so forth. Just, we're not quite where we wanted to be in terms of income to be able to do some of the extra projects we want to do. So if you, you know, if you got a couple thousand dollars laying around, you know, but uh, <laughs> uh, it, it helps if you give before the end of the month. That way we, we finish, finish off the end of the year uh, strong. But we also put together our budget. So Ben and I worked real hard during the months of April and May to get this set up, and then we started massaging it, so to speak, and getting all the details in during uh, the end of May and into June. The elders have approved that now, and so we're ready. We're loading it into the bookkeeping uh, work and, and so forth, and that'll be ready for July 1st. We've got a great team. Um, you know, our staff manages it. Susan Ciangiola is our bookkeeper. She takes care of all the details on that. One of the things we do, though, and I want to make sure you're aware of this, oh, and by the way, the budget for next year is about 5% above where it was last year, so that's just something to be praying about. We need about a 5% increase to be able to hit our budget targets, um, and, and you know, we're doing some really, really cool things around the world. I really wanted to just remind you of missions is another area of my responsibility, and I, I like to keep you up to date because not everybody follows social media and so forth, but we have a missions team of a dozen people that meet on a monthly basis. One of our tasks, and July is a fun month for us, is that we take any money that wasn't distributed during the course of the year from our missions budget, and we make investments in places all around the world. And, uh, and we just got done doing that last, uh, last week, actually. And uh, so just to kind of give you a, an idea, remember last year in July, we gave a check for $25,000 uh, to Uttar Pradesh uh, church planting efforts through Hope for India. Uh, I was supposed to be here that week. I was in the hospital that week, because I, so I remember it really, really well. Uh, but we had made a commitment of 50000 uh, to be able to give the church planters over there the training they needed to plant churches. So we just wrote the check for that this week uh, and completed that $50,000 investment. Uttar Pradesh is a, a, a state of 250, 000, or 250 million people in uh, northern India, where a lot of the government officials were born, including the president, who is no friend of Christianity. It's a hotbed of Christian persecution right now. Right now, many of the pastors that we have trained and worked with over the years right now are in prison there. So remember them. We we're continuing our work and our effort, but it's under very, very difficult situations. So they got 25000 we sent 10000 to Bulgaria for a church planting uh, effort there, and we had made a commitment, and this was our final part of that, and they, are, they told me we're up and going, and uh, th this will just take care of the plan, but the plan is working, and, uh, and, and they're going to be uh, launched there in Sofia. Well, they're already launched, but they're going to be able to be independent. Uh, we made another investment in India, uh, in northern India. Um, uh, we also, Zimbabwe is uh, another place where I'm going to be taking a team of four pastors over during the month of September to do some planning 
in discipleship and also church planting training. And that uh, we gave 10000 for that. Uh, in North Africa, we just did a partnership with a guy who was a roommate of somebody who goes to this church. And um, they're doing work with the Northern African immigrants in France. But now they're going to take the work to, to uh, Northern Africa. And they're going to be doing some work there with church planting networks. One of our missions teams actually went in our, of our missions committee and interviewed the people. And they're just excited about that. Uh, we just had a group from Kenya go uh, with the Wilsons, who are our missionaries uh, that have now left the field. They're retired, but they still keep going back. And we were able to give them um, money to be able to build a basketball thing at their Christian school and their church to use as an outreach. And they were over there, got it built, and, and saw everything done. We took care of that. Uh, several of our missions team members went down to a cause for tea, which we're celebrating this month. We had someone here last week, and we've already committed to at least $6,000 to be able to take care of one of the uh, Tea Light ladies who are, had been addicted and is now working there. Uh, so that's moving forward, going great. By the way, if you ever get a chance to go down to Monroe and see that, you really should. It's amazing. Uh, and then we, when we approved a bundle working with another group that's going to be doing church planting and training uh, and uh, discipleship in Ecuador, Tanzania, North India, and South Kenya. So four projects, $17,000. We wrote the check for that this week as well. So those are just some things we're doing out of our regular missions budget. That's not above and beyond. We had to get that money money planted and out and circulated because the elders have a policy that if it comes in during the year, it has to go out during the year for our missions budget. Above and beyond is above the budget, so we squirrel that up and do big projects around the world. Y'all are doing great on that. We asked for a $100,000 pledge, and that money is coming in like clockwork. So one of the things we'll be doing this fall is planting and projects, planning a couple of missions trips that I think you're going to want to hear about, some of you want to go to. Good things going on. All right, so I just like to everyone. So I'll just give you a little insight into what's going on because I'm I know it's hard multiple services and so forth to keep caught up, but uh, I'm so excited about what what God is doing. By the way, we did a podcast this week. Ben and I did with. Um, Mike Seffrin, who oversees as a layperson, he's a shepherding elder, but he's also our layperson, who oversees our finances. I'm accountable to him. Our staff is accountable to him. And uh, he came in and did two episodes of a podcast that will drop this week, tell you about a lot of the inner workings of how we do things. Um, this, even this weekend, he and I have been going back and forth about an audit that we're going to have for our finances. So you can always know all the money, where it's going, so forth. We've got all kinds of policies, procedures. I want you to know that because sometimes you know people say, oh, well, churches are sloppy about things. We aren't. We're very, very careful, and we want you to know that. You can always ask any questions about that. Galatians chapter 5 is where we are in our scriptures. I want to do this before we get into the passage. If you have young children in here, this sermon is a little PG-13 in places, okay? Just want to kind of give you that because of some of the things that the scripture is talking about. It's important, but if you've got a young child who you are really careful about, the, the kid's life is going on, and you may want to take advantage of that, so just kind of give you that precursor. But we are in Galatians chapter 5, and I've been teasing Ben all week. It's, it's like, did I make you mad? Are you upset with me? Uh, you know, because we're breaking these into different, different passages and so forth, and he gives me this really heavy, really intense list of all these sins. And is it, is it you know, Ben, when you're going through this, is like, oh, here's a list of sins. Dan's an expert on this. Let's give it. I, I don't know what was going through his mind. I also noticed this. You know, sometimes we'll take like eight or ten verses and go through it in a week. And he stuck three, and he stops it right before. There's another list that's coming. It's a good thing. A good thing that all the Christians do, the gifts of the Spirit. And I was, when I saw this, I thought, oh, wow, I'll be able to be, you know, this is all going to be part of it. And then he cuts me off right there at the end of the list of all the ugly things that people do. Uh, but anyway, we're going to go for it, all right? We preach the whole counsel of God here, all right? And 
Uh, just buckle your seatbelts. It's going to be a rough one, folks. All right. Uh, we're going to go through, uh, through this list. And, and I'm, I'm actually quite, uh, quite excited about it because anytime you open the Word of God, there's so much that we can learn. I do want to go. It's important that you understand context. Context is so essential whenever you're studying Scripture because, I mean, there have been entire denominations and cults started because people will take a verse out of context. All kinds of false doctrine and heresy, uh, you, you know, because they'll take a verse. Uh, prosperity gospel is built on verses made out of context. And, and, and so I always want to make sure you, you, you learn to look for the context of the scripture. So if you step back, look at the book of Galatians. What is Galatians about? Well, Galatians is a letter to Paul. We've been studying this now for several months. But Paul's writing the people of the early church in the city of Galatia that had been kind of infected with people who were part of the Judaistic culture and tradition were coming back in, adding law to the grace. Kept saying, you've got to keep the law, got to keep the law got to be circumcised, got to do all these things. And so we've been tearing that apart week by week by week by week. We come into this passage, we made kind of a transition as we started chapter 5. We slowed the pace down quite a bit, and we've been taking these little sections. We're only going to be in three verses today. We've already read them together, but I kind of want to expand out. If you use the ESV, you'll notice that that there's a, a section and, and actually the title of the section is Keep in Step with the Spirit. And that's kind of where the, the translators and the, and the people who edited this, this version of the Bible said, okay, here's a section where we're talking about, you know, walking in the Spirit and being in the Spirit and what all that means. But remember when God gives the scripture, it was just a letter, right? Didn't have verses. Didn't even have punctuation the way we have it. But I mean, it, did, it, didn't, it didn't have chapters. It, did, it was just a letter, and, and so you've got to keep that in mind as well. This is a section of a letter that Paul has written wherein he's talking about the freedom that comes whenever the Holy Spirit is in charge of your life. And again, remember this, he was talking to people that felt like religion was a big bully club that was constantly being used to wrap them up inside of the head and tell them they were no good. And now he's saying, you're free. Well, it takes a while for, for you know, to... to to understand what freedom's about. You know, a couple of weeks ago when I was preaching, I talked about how, you know, sometimes they let animals out that have been in captivity for years, and they're kind of confused. You know, you open the gate, you send them out, and they're like, whoa, you mean I can go anywhere? All of this is mine? You know, and then all of a sudden they start running around and acting goofy, and, you know, we cry, and we see all the tube, you know, see it on YouTube, and, you know, how wonderful it is to be free. Well, that's kind of what's going on here, all right? Paul's saying, you know, you all, all these rules you've had to keep, you can't cook on Sunday, and you can't only walk so many steps, and, you know, this and that, and you have to be circumcised, and all that. And he's saying, you're free. And everybody's kind of like walking around, well, what does that mean? How do I go about this? And he, so he's trying to explain it and break it down so that they don't abuse their freedom, but that they enjoy their freedom for the reason they were given freedom. Now, <clears throat> So when we go through, I, again, I always want to look for keywords and transitions, and I'm a grammar geek, I get it. So, but so when you, actually this passage began in verse 16, which we, we studied last week. We're going to study verses 18 to 21 this week. Next week we'll go through 22 through 25. So we're breaking this one section into three pieces, but there's some key words and, there's, and, and each one is a transition. It's a part of a different part of this part of the series. And they all are notified with the word but, all right? And in this, there's, there's three buts. And I like these buts. I cannot lie, all right? These are important. These are very... Did I say that out loud? Did I? Did I? <laughs> but seriously, they're important. <laughs> so notice them. 
all right? Look, if you would, in verse 16. You know, sometimes I'll just, you can write your letters to me, and I'll confess later. I'm sorry. I just don't know where this stuff comes from. I have never listened to that song, not one time. I promise you this. I could not, other than the title of it, I don't know anything. Ooh, I'm in trouble. The elders of Paging Burrell, Dr. Dan Burrell. All right, verse 16. But say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That's where he starts this passage. He says, but say, walk by the Spirit. Now notice this. He's speaking about the Spirit. He's saying, I want to bring you back to the theme. So he gives an interjection, this transitional word. But remember this. Reset your thinking. Don't think in your default form. You're walking in the Spirit. Now look, if you would, in verse 18. Again, the word but. He's saying, come back to me. I want you to remember this. If you are led by the Spirit. See a theme developing here? Look now, if you would, verse 22, where Ben is going to be preaching next week. Again, the word but calls us back to attention. You always ask, what is it there for? But the fruit of the Spirit. So it's walk by the Spirit, led by the Spirit, and what do you get? Fruit by the Spirit. So that's the overarching context of this passage. You and I need to understand that when you are free in Christ, you are free because the Spirit has freed you. You are freed because God has something for you. You are no longer in bondage to the old man, to the old way, to the old nature, to the old practice, to the old habits, but you are free indeed, free in Christ. And this is so crucial for us to get because in this we do as we should, not as we could. So let's kind of let's kind of take this apart. Look in verse 19. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, obvious, apparent, easy to be seen. Okay? So he's saying, when you see this thing, this list of things I'm about, you understand this. These are obvious marks. These are common characteristics. These are things that can clearly be seen. And then he gives the, the big bad list. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and then, and things like these. So he says, in case I left one off, I'm going to imply that there's more. Now that's significant, and I'm going to explain to you in a moment why. And then he's saying, Paul's saying, in the declarative authoritative term, of an apostle who cared deeply about this church. I warn you, and this isn't the first time you've heard this because I've warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Whoa, we're in trouble now. Okay? We're in trouble now because isn't that what he just said? If you do any of these things, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. You're not going to heaven. You're going to die and go to hell. You're toast. And this is where a lot of people, and I've had so many people over the years come back and say, well, what about this verse? And they question their salvation. Again, we have to understand the context. What is he talking about here? People who are walking in the flesh versus people who walk in the spirit. He gives two lists. The first list, the characteristics of people who walk in the flesh. The second list is the fruit and the characteristics of people who walk in the spirit. And he's drawing a contrast. So look at it from this view. It's important. Because if you're honest, and if I'm honest, there are things on this, verse, on this list that, 
that I do and have done. And I'm not real proud of it. But man, that's bad news if we're going to take it that way. I mean, who has not had a bad thought? Who has not been responsible for an argument that you shouldn't have engaged in? Who hasn't been jealous? Who hasn't caused strife? You know, and sometimes I get real, real self-righteous. Well, I've never been to an orgy. I've never been drunk. I've never... No, 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 no. There's, this is an equal opportunity list. There's something in it for everybody, okay? And you know why? Because when we are born, we're born with that fleshly nature. The word in the Greek is sarx, S-A-R-X. But you walk in that fleshly nature. And in that fleshly nature, you struggle. And you make mistakes. Why? Because we're born dead. That's the consequences of the fall. It's the consequences of Satan. And the Bible says, For as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, because we've all sinned. That's what the Scripture says. I know I'm being really cheery right now, but this is our state. We are dead men walking because of our sin nature. But there's those buts. And we have to go back to them because he's showing the other way. But you can walk in the spirit, but you're no longer of the flesh. But it'll bear fruit in your life. And we cannot overlook those. So I want to jump to the end and clear this up. This is a descriptive list, not a prescriptive list. Here's the difference. If it was prescriptive, it would be the reason I'm giving this list is show, so that I can show you you're on your, that, that, that you're hellbound. You do this, hell, do this, going to hell, doing this, damned, doing this, outside of God. That's, that's prescriptive. That's not what it's doing. It's saying these are the characteristics of somebody who's not walking in the Spirit. This is the characteristic of those who walk in the flesh. This is the characteristic of those who are controlled by their sarks, which is the Greek word. Now, let's say that somebody came running in the back door all of a sudden. He said, Pastor Dan, Pastor Dan, I found a dead body. Well, that would catch all of our attention, would it not? So we would stop. We would say, a dead body? How do you know? How do you know this body is dead? How do you know that they're not sleeping, taking a nap? You know, I'm at that age where every once in a while my wife puts a mirror under my nose, just, you know, you fall asleep in the chair and she's a little worried about me, you know. But no, you know, you, 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 are you sure? And yes, I'm sure. Well, how are you sure? They may say some things like this. They're cold to the touch. They're blue. Their eyes are open but fixed. They're unresponsive. They're rigid. They're not breathing. And if you heard somebody give that list of descriptors about a body that they had seen, you'd say, oh yeah, they're dead. Yeah, they're dead. Why? Because these are consistent characteristics of people who do not have life. We wouldn't be surprised. This is what we would expect. In fact, if somebody say, well, how do you know a body is dead? You say, well, they're not breathing. Their eyes are open and fixed. They're cold to the touch. These are the characteristics. And this is exactly what Paul just said. Paul said, you want to know what the dead man looks like, the guy who walks in the flesh? Well, you know, he's got a lot of envy, he's got a lot of strife, he may go to orgies, he gets drunk sometimes. And it, this wasn't a list of like, thou shalt and thou shalt. This was a list of, hey, this is a dead man. This is the kind of conduct that you would expect. This is the kind of circumstances that you would expect to find. These are the characteristics of someone who has no life in them, spiritually. They come natural. 
to the dead person, to the fleshly person. So, the passage is the first half of a description that emphasizes the differences between, the, the, between someone who is dead in their sins and trespasses and those who are alive in Christ by the work of the Holy Spirit. At the same time, we need to be aware of the transformative work of the Holy Spirit. There are marks that ought to be on open display. If you're a believer in Christ, people should see these, recognize these, and it should draw attention to the fact that you're alive. You know, again, if somebody's alive, you'd say, yeah, yeah, well, they're noisy. (laughs) They're warm to the touch. They look at me. They respond to my requests. All of these are characteristics of those. So what would be the characteristics of those who are walking in the Spirit? Well, we're going to look at those next week. But today, our job is to ask ourselves the question, what does a dead man look like? And to ask the tougher question, the deeper question is this, do we act like dead men? Do we act like dead men? So let's look at this list a little bit. And again, you know, I, 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 here, here's this, and I, I wrestled with this all week in my head. Um, I'm old school, all right? You know, I grew up in one of those hard-shelled Baptist churches, you know, where we would say things like, Baptist born and Baptist bred, and when I die, I'll be Baptist dead. You know, that was, <laughs> that was kind of us, all right? We were very proud of that, you know? Well, did you ever preach against sin? Oh, yeah, we were against it. You know, I mean, we, you know, we, we loved preaching on sin. And, and yet I find myself in today's culture, the world has changed a lot in my lifetime. We're afraid to call sin, sin. We're afraid to call out behavior that is inconsistent with the, someone who's alive in Christ. We're afraid to get down into the weeds of the gospel and the Bible and realize this, the transformed life ought not be living like dead men walking. So we're going to take a list, look at it, call a few names, not personally, hopefully. And we're going to look at this. It's interesting, when you look at this list, I love lists, okay? Live my life by lists. I divided this into four categories. Now, I I did a bunch of research, and some people did it in two, some people did it in three. As always, I go overboard. I'm at four, all right? So let's look at this four list of types of sins we've got here. The first list, and I put this up here so you can kind of look at it if you want to take a picture of it and look at it later. It's in our notes. You can always get them off the website. Sexual sins, and there's three of them. This is the PG-13 part, in case you were wondering. Sexual immorality, impurity, and sensuality. So let's go beyond the level, the initial level, and look at it. Sexual immorality. This is the Greek word pornea. Yeah, I say that the way it is. Pornea. Right? Very common word. We get our word pornography from it. And it actually usually is translated fornication in other places in Scripture. It refers to any and all forms of illicit sexual relationships, intercourse, prostitution, unchastity, fornication. These are words that are translated from pornea. And there is that obvious one, pornography, which is kind of like the over one, which is depictions of people engaged in these behaviors. So with that in mind, this is about the actual act of sexual immorality that they're talking about here. People violating God's plan for human sexuality. Now, can I just pause here and, and, and say this? 
You know, and I've had people, you know, first of all, people make unfair accusations against the church all the time, and nobody really challenges them in it. I do, and it gets me in trouble. But, but you know, we'll seem like, well, in church, I was always taught that sex was dirty. No, you weren't. All right? I've never been in a church where they said sex was dirty. Sex is a part of how God created us. And it's just as natural as drinking water, eating food, sleeping, working. These are part of the things that God created us to do and to enjoy and to be part of. However, like every other aspect of what God created for us to, en to, to enjoy and be a part of, Satan has found a way to corrupt it. The guy who weighs 450 pounds this morning has corrupted the natural inclination that God said, eat, enjoy. The person, the, the person who sleeps 18 hours a day and won't work a job is violating God's design for sleep and rest and work. The, and by the way, conversely, the guy that, that, you know, that works uh, uh, you know, 100 hours a week and neglects his family and never goes to church and doesn't read the Bible, he's, he's neglecting it in another way. In other words, God gave us, the, he gave us liberty and he gave us opportunity, but he also expects us to enjoy that liberty and that opportunity with responsibility. And in doing so, he said, here, here's the best way to enjoy it. So I, mean, we'll be, I want to be really, really clear because there's a lot of messages out there today. According to the word of God, this is how human sexuality is to be enjoyed. One man, one woman. We start off there. Very clear. Let me make it clear. And again, I'm not trying to be hateful. And the only authority I bring to this is the authority of the word of God. But I happen to believe that the authority of the word of God is the only authority I actually really need. And that is this. There are two genders, male and female. In the beginning, God created that, okay? So this is where we start. We've got the man, we've got the woman. They're different. And God said they can become one flesh. That formed the first institution in the Garden of Eden that God ever founded, which was the marriage that led to the family. So that's in it. There is a covenantal relationship that's exclusively between one man and one woman. It wasn't two women and one man. You say, well, yeah, but in the Old Testament, yeah, well, the whole Bible is filled with a bunch of stuff where, where, where God said, do it this way, and man decided to do it a different way, and it messed a lot of stuff up. But in the garden, he set the standard, and he said, if you want to do it right, if you want to do it safely, if you want to do it the way I designed it, this is what you do. One man, one woman in a covenant relationship for life. For life. You don't, get to, you don't get to go, oh, well, I'm tired of this one. I'll get to try that one. I'll get to do this one. That. No, no. It's for life. All right? So an adultery is not an, is not an option. You, you maintain that. So one man, one woman within marriage for life. That's God's plan for sexuality. And in that, we enjoy all the privileges, the freedom, the joy that will be of a benefit to us. And in, when we obey God, we glorify God. Do you understand this? The sexual union that exists in a marriage glorifies God because he designed it. And every time we obey God's design in the way that he designed it, we glorify God. It's not dirty. It's not dirty until Satan says, well, you know what? I know you want to eat, so eat 12 Big Macs, slosh it down with five orders of fries. No, 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 no. God wants you to enjoy food. He doesn't want you to abuse your body. And the same thing goes with our sexual appetites. God meant for those to be exercised and executed and enjoyed within his plan. So he's saying, you want to see the characteristic of a dead man? This guy ignores that. 
Look at the word impurity. Akarthasia. And that's a broad word that refers to moral uncleanness that's related to thought, speech, and deed. Thought, speech, and deed. It's not necessarily the act of immorality, but it is rather just a general attitude toward impurity. And here, here, here's it. It's our conversations. It's our humor. It's our thought life. You know, I'm, it, it's sad that, you know, uh, every once in a while... I'll, I'll see a YouTube video or whatever, and, I'll, and it's a comedian, and I like to laugh, right? So I want to see the, and, and, and it's filthy. I have to turn it off. I, I mean, it's, it's rare. I, there's been like one comedian I've been able to go to as an adult that, that I knew I could go to, and I wasn't going to get a bunch of sex talk. Why is that? Because the dead man has an impure thought, and constantly they don't filter it out anymore. It's there. It's a general state of moral corruption and immoral thinking and general vileness that is sexual in nature. Third one, sensuality, asalgia. And it is this, it's the connotation of omelet, I'm sorry, open, shameless, brazen displays of immorality, nakedness, sexuality, and it's consistent with a lack of self-restraint that violates what is moral and socially acceptable. All right? So in other words, it's how we present ourselves. Buckle your seatbelts, all right? I know it's July, and I know it's hot outside. But if you are displaying your body in a sexually temptation, a tempting way on Instagram, your conduct is consistent with someone who is dead, all right? I know that's not real popular to say, but I spent 20 years in South Florida, And, and here's the reality. If someone walked in your house in front of your kids dressed in their underclothing, most dads would have a word. Am I right? Sprinkle a little sand and some suntan lotion and a body of water, and we let our whole family... You say, well, Dan, that just sounded horribly legalistic. I don't know. I don't know. Now, I grew up in a home. I'm serious. I didn't learn to swim until I was an adult. <laughs> because we were against, get this, you're going to laugh, all right? Mixed bathing. That's what we called it, mixed bathing. That was a rigid, uncompromising rule that missed the point. And the point is this, before Christ, as new creatures filled with his spirit, do we even ask ourselves the question, is modesty a virtue that is important to me in terms of what I'm projecting about my body, my life, and my beliefs? I believe that's true for women. I believe that's true for men. I believe that's true for Christians, based on what this word really means. Now, you say, yeah, that's right, Dan, you preach it. No, this applies to all of us because there's a lot of guys in here that are watching porn and we know it. It's the number one thing Ben and I have to deal with in, this, in, 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 in counseling. Number one for men. So before we get too pious, yeah, you tell those girls to put clothes. No, 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 no. What do you laugh at? What's the humor you enjoy? And, and here it is. I'm not preaching legalism because I'm telling you this. We're safe, but we're safe from this nonsense. We're safe from this nonsense. 
And the, and, and the glory we give to God is by walking in the Spirit. It's a different walk. And I'm going to explain how that looks in just a moment. You ready for me to move on? I think you're ready because I got really quiet, a little <laughs> uncomfortable. All right. And if you disagree, that's okay. Let's, let's, let's open Scripture and let's just chat. All right? I'm not mad. I'm not mad. We'll have a cup of coffee. You know, I still love you. I may unfriend you from Instagram, but that's okay. All right? Because I don't need to see that. Here we go. Religious sins. And then it lists two. Idolatry and sorcery. Idolatry and sorcery. Idolatry. This is generally involving the worship of pagan gods. These are sins that were found in the religious culture of the day of Paul. And it was quite common. In a broader context, it is loving anything that you love more than God. That's the quintessential definition of, of, uh, of idolatry. But it should be noted that this is included directly after the list of sexual sins. And there's, there's a reason for that. Because in the days of Paul, many of the pagan temples were funded by sexual activity. They, they literally had temple prostitutes. It was very common that, that a gift would be parents who gave their daughter up to service the priests. This is, what, this is, this is the decadence of that culture and, and that word, world. In the day of Paul, religions endorsed deviant sexual behavior because it increased their popularity, it enriched them, it fed their worst appetites, and it provided a satanic connection to conduct that had been forbidden by the true God, the Judeo-Christian God, Yahweh. So whether it was temple prostitution to the assignment of young boys, which was very common even among people like Plato and Socrates, who had boy lovers, and again, PG-13, but this is the reality, read your history, they, 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 whether it was those kind of behavior, or whether it was, it was the orgies that they sometimes had that involved wine and drink and prostitutes, this was a common issue in worship, pagan worship and idolatry. And the sexual deviancy was entwined deeply in the culture. And I say that to say this. Therefore, we should not be shocked today when so-called churches and clerics of whatever denomination or background who deny the gospel also are endorsing sexual deviancy like homosexuality and transgenderism and gender and sexual fluidity and general promiscuity. And sometimes when I think, yeah, yeah, you, you go there, you go there. I was watching something on Fox News this week, and yeah, you go there. No, 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 no. That's the above ground stuff. But I want you to also understand that the path to these dramatic examples is often paved by lax attitudes on the part of individual believers and even churches on things like marital monogamy, casual divorce, living together before marriage, premarital sexual activity, and indulgence in pornography. All right? So let's put it down where we all live. And you say, oh, damn, man, you're just old-fashioned. No, 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 no. I'm, I know I'm going full boomer for some of you, but here's the reality. Here's the reality. This is like not having a pulse. This is like being cold to the touch. This is like not being responsive. When these things are part of our practices and they're obvious, then we have to ask ourselves, what are we thinking and how are we behaving? And is this consistent with someone who's alive in Christ? 
And in order to be, avoid being called boomer and old-fashioned and Baptisty or, you know, fundamentalist or whatever, we're watering down the opportunity to be salt and light that glorify God. Not because we're fearful, but because we're wonderfully made in the image of God and we want to project His character and nature to anyone who would see us. So idolatry and these practices ought not happen. But so I'm going to ask you a question. What is it you love more than God? For many, it is sex. But for others, it's money. For some, it's power. Idolatry is whatever that stands between you and obeying God is an idol. And we have to be careful about it. Because you know what? You and I are idol-making machines. We are idol-making machines. And I'll do that, you know, and, and you, you get down to where you live. If you spend more time on social media than you, spend, than, you, than you spend thinking about the things of God, reading the Bible, praying, talking to others, going to church, whatever, there ought to be a problem. And yet today we're finding that the average adult is spending between 8 and 12 hours connected to the Internet. And yet they're attending church one to two times per month. I don't know about you, but that, that feels like idolatry to me. You say, well, that's what we need. We need to go to church more. We need to go to church more. We need to be faithful. We need to turn off the internet. We need No, 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 you missed it. You know what we need to do? We need to walk like dead, uh, like people. We need to walk like Christ. We need to love him. You know what? You can, you, can be, you, can, you can be absolutely disconnected from all the things of the world. You can be a morally upright person. You can do all of those things and still go to hell. Because your good stuff does not impress God. But what I am saying is if you love God and if you're part of his family, then you're going to breathe new life. And so we have to ask ourselves this question. And that's why Paul keeps making these two arguments. You're free, but don't be an idiot, okay? You're free, but don't be a dead man. You're free, but don't abuse it. And that area, that golden mean of Christian liberty is where... We thrive when we love God most best and first in all of our life. The other area is sorcery, and I just want to hit this too, and I'm, I'm taking too much time on the list, but it's important because there's only three verses, and Ben made me. All right, so <laughs> the word sorcery comes from a, a, a word that means witchcraft, and it's actually the word pharmakia. And what do you think of when you hear the word pharma, big pharma, pharmacy? All right? And, and it's related to drugs. In ancient times, the use of drugs, different types of hallucinogenics, was a common practice which would lead to altered states of consciousness, trances, hallucinations, uh, visions, those kind of things. And th this was quite common uh, in witchcraft and in modern depiction. You remember when you watched uh, Sleeping Beauty the first time? Remember the old witch in the wood, woods and she was stirring a big cauldron? What was she making? A magic potion. She dipped the apple in it. She fed it to Sleeping Beauty. Sleeping Beauty fell asleep, right? Had a magic spell attached. That's where we get this idea. Pharmacia. Pharmacia. Right? So, you say, well, why is that a big deal? Because I believe in our culture today, we have a very glib attitude toward those things which take control of our mind. And drugs do that. And here, here we go. I'm sorry. Got to say it. So does alcohol. Anything that allows your mind to shut off and for the inhibitions to drop, that is a gateway, it's a portal to these kinds of sins that are consistent with dead people. And we need to be aware of them. Now, what is the modern day application of that? 
Let me just say this to you. Everything that is legal is not necessarily right. And in our culture, right now, there's this huge movement toward legalizing hallucinogenics. First, it was marijuana. Well, first it was alcohol. Then it was marijuana. Now it's mushrooms. That's happening all over the place. And the next, you know, the next step will be legalizing drugs like they do in certain parts of Europe. It's going to happen. So, so, again, if your standard for what is right and wrong, what is acceptable and unacceptable, what is healthy and unhealthy is going to be what the government does, think about that one for a little bit, will you? All right. Wrong place to look for standards. I want to talk about that before we close. We have to be really, really careful. And it's as old as history. It was happening in these days. Native Americans for years used peyote. I was just talking this morning to a lady who was a missionary to Native Americans out in Arizona, and she was talking about all the, all the, the, the damaged children she worked with because their parents were taking peyote, which is an you know, extrapolated form of something like marijuana. But here, here's the reality. And you know I love young people, and you know I work with them a lot, right? You know that. And every young person in here, you know how much I love you. Nobody will question that. I had 28 of you in my house on Wednesday night. But you guys are fooling around with this kind of stuff, and you know it. You know it. I know it. I know it, and some of your parents don't know it. But I am saying this to you. You're acting like a dead man. You're acting like a dead woman. You're better than that. Why? Because Christ lives in you. You don't have to get drunk. You don't have to go to the parties. You don't have to do all these other things to be accepted because the acceptance you have in Christ is the most important acceptance at all. And it may not seem that way now, but seriously, do, take, do listen to this old boomer who loves you very much. In 20 years, 30 years, and 40 years, you'll be glad you listened. Not to me, but to this warning. Watch out for things that gives your control to substances. Pharmacia. All right. The last thing we'll go through real quickly. Last two things. Social sins. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, and envy. This is a long list of societal sins. It starts with hatred, ends with envy. But the idea is this. Enmity is this hatred that often occurs between two groups. Have we ever been more divided into groups than we are today? Strife. This is a byproduct of enmity. So you get into two groups, now you're fighting. Jealousy. There's good jealousy. God's a jealous God. But when jealousy is self-centered, that's this kind of jealousy. And it's very, very dangerous because we become entitled. We think we have rights we do not have. And we demand things that we should not demand. That then, when we don't get it, what happens? We go full Karen and Chad. We have a fit of anger, don't we? You've seen the stuff on YouTube, and they, you know, they're throwing things down the aisle, and they're losing their minds. And yeah, that's this. Fits of anger. It's irrational. The moi is the Greek word. And it is an eruption. That's the actual word. Eruption. That's the result of smoldering jealousy and anger. And then there's rivalries. General disputes and selfish ambition that promote self at the expense of others. Overly competitive. And then that really leads to dissension and division. This is where people quarrel over issues and personalities. This is petty. And I will simply say this. You can disagree with someone without devolving into dissension and division. A lot of things are not important, and yet we fight over them. I've seen churches split over the dumbest, dumbest issues, dumbest reasons. Why? Because we take a preference and we elevate it to the, to the point of division and dissension. Then the last thing is envying, envying, 
That's an evil feeling or wrongful desire to possess what belongs to others. And again, this is reality. Say, Dan, do you ever struggle with envy? Yeah, every time I walk out to my car and see what some of you folks are driving. Nice. (laughs) Right? Nice. (laughs) Got to be glad I can't check the the tithe records, but no, it's nice. (laughs) Just kidding. Now, the, the reality is we all, somewhere in this list. And by the way, when, when this list gets out of control, then society breaks down. And these sins break down civil order in society, community, but they'll also divide at a church. They'll also divide your home. Last thing is self-control sins. I've kind of hit this one, so I won't spend too much time, but there's two, drunkenness and orgies. All right, The word orgies there, I think... We, we take an American view of that and think, ooh, that's kinky. No, the, the word origins literally means carousing and partying, excessive partying. All right? And, and, and by the way, I will say this. Involving drinking and excessive partying and carousing is not a rite of passage. All right? So again, excuse me for kind of focusing on my favorite group. But you young people going off to college... There is a mentality today that says the reason you leave mom and dad and go to college is so that you can spend a few years doing this. And it's sad. By the way, well, my child's going to Liberty University. I've been a professor there for 17 years. I want to tell you that it goes on there just like it does anywhere else. You name the university, it happens. And I've seen some of my Liberty kids going like this, yeah. Yeah. It's the reality. And by the way, it happens in the peninsula and Cashin Woods and other places too. But I want you to understand this. That's dead man behavior. It's very interesting to me also that these last two things are self-control sins. Self-control. You've got to make up a decision. These final two sins are often, by the way, associated with alcohol. And again, please listen to me. Don't shut me off quite yet. Alcohol and addiction has the ability to place people under the control of something other than the Holy Spirit. That's why Paul said in Ephesians 5.18, Be not drunk with wine, but be filled with what? The Spirit. The Spirit. This is not, by the way, a forbiddance of every type of alcohol in all occasions at every time. I grew up in that culture. By the way, I think most of you know this, and I don't say this because I want you to be impressed or brag, but I'm a teetotaler. I've never drank, never will. It's part of my, my ethos. You, you can find lots of these other sins. Okay, you can accuse me of this one. This is not one, so I'm going to preach on it extra long. No, <laughs> but, 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 but the reality is, is this. Anything that puts you under the control, under the control, is a danger. And you know the things that can put you under control. For some, it's money. For some, it's power. For some, it's sex. And for some, it's booze. And for some, it's pot. And for some, it's these things. Anything that can put you. I know my personality. If I like something, I'm in. So there are certain areas I just avoid. I'm not going to go there. Why? It's not that important. You know what is more important to me? Hopefully, hopefully, is the Lord. And so if that's the case, then I don't want to become idolatrous by putting something else in front of me. But these are self-control. And he's saying, watch out. When Noah got drunk, it was a problem. Remember? When Lot got drunk, what happened? The whole Moabite race was formed because he slept with his daughters. Gross. How'd that happen? Booze. Right? Nadab and Abihu got killed by God by offering strange fire. Why? Because they were drunk. Over and over and over in Scripture, you watch when people give up their thinking to something that isn't of God Disaster follows. And it leads to the drunken carousing. How many people wake up, woke up this morning because they were at a bar too long last night and they don't even know the name of the person they woke up next to? That's orgy. That's 
carousing, that's excessive partying, that's under the control of dead man thinking. And then notice he says this, and things like this. So he said, in case you didn't get stepped on, I tried, I think I got everybody, but if I didn't, <laughs> all right? He says, and other stuff too. We understand that avoiding this list and every list of this does not make us a Christian. Do you understand that? Okay. Going to church does not make you a Christian any more than standing in your garage makes you a Lamborghini. It does not work that way. However, however, if you are a Christian, you should have the Spirit. I want to do one last thing, and then we'll give you your applications, and we're done. Here's, here's the thing I want you to do. Make sure you're comparing what life the symptoms of life look like in the right place, what the symptoms of death look like from the right place. Here's what we tend to do, all right? So we say God has a line. We know that. He is righteous. We are not righteous. And the line's right down the middle, right down the middle. So many of us spend so much time worrying about that line, worrying about that line. So we ask questions like this. How far is too far? How far can I go when I'm dating? Is it okay for a Christian to fill in the blank? Isn't living by standards and rules just legalism anyway? Under grace, aren't we free? God created me this way. God's going to love me anyway. I'm one of his children. And so we use all of these excuses, but these are often the questions that are asked to lay a foundation for behavior that is acting like dead men. Why is it we want to blend in? Why is it we want to be so close to this line? Because we still have that fallen sin nature. So here's what we do. We look at the line, and then we look at other people. And we say, well, God's called me to be holy. But look at where everybody else is. They're all the way over there. Look at the world. They're doing this. They're saying this. They're saying this. But you know, I'm not of the world. I'm not in the world. They're over there. But our world is fallen, and it's broken, and it's getting worse and worse and worse. Have you noticed that? If you're my age, you've certainly seen it in your lifetime. But here's the reality. The world does keep getting worse. It keeps getting worse. When my standard is what the world is doing, as long as I keep a distance, I'm good. But the world keeps getting worse. But, you know, I'm not like the world because I'm that far away from them. I'm staying, I'm not doing, well, I can do this because look at what the world is doing. And I, you know, I'm not getting drunk, but, but look at what the world's doing. Wait, see, and they're still way over there. And, 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 and look at this, and, and the world just keeps getting worse and worse, but I am maintaining my distance. I am not going to be like the world. I, I, somebody called me strange the other day, and, and we, we keep, and, and we, I'm still separated from the world. I'm, a, I'm apart from the world, and the world keeps getting worse and worse and worse, but I'm maintaining my distance. But then one day we wake up, and where are we standing? We've, sta we've maintained this. But we're in a place we never dreamed of being because our eyes were on the wrong place. And I don't care if your judge is the, what the pastor is doing. Don't do what Dan and Ben do. Do better. Your mom and dad, don't do what your mom and dad do. Do better. The standard is the Word of God. And that standard never moves. You say, well, they're going to call me weird. Yes, yes, they are. Well, I might get fired. Yes, yes, you might. Well, somebody's going to write mean things about me on the internet. Yes, yes, they will. But don't worry about that. Because that's this life, and it's temporary. Over and over and over again, the scripture says, quip you like men, stand. Be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Stand, stand, be firm, don't compromise. Be found worthy. Why? Because our line is not what everybody around us is doing. 
our line is, oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Because he first loved me. That's our line. That's life. So what do we do with this? Here we go. Number one, walking in the flesh is natural. Walking in the spirit is supernatural. If you do what comes natural, you'll be a dead man walking. Because the natural man exists to die. We're born dying, totally depraved, without hope. But, but Jesus, but the gospel, but the Holy Spirit lives within you. So understand this. Every time, every time you adjust your characteristics based on God, you're not acting naturally. You're acting supernaturally. That's a pretty cool thing. Number two. A life of unrestrained sinful conduct is characteristic of those who are not constrained by their love of Christ and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and who are unredeemed. We do need to be honest about this. There is this mentality, there is this mentality that I can live any way I want to and God will still love me. No, it does not work that way. God so loved the world in a general way, but God hates sin. And he does not, we're not all God's children, we're all God's creation. The way we become God's children is when we trust Christ as our Savior, repent of our sins, and accept him as Lord and Savior. And at that moment, death becomes life. At that moment. That's why when we get baptized, we'll baptize next week. We've got 14, I believe, that are going to be baptized in Lake Norman next Sunday. If you'd like to be baptized, please hit me up. And uh, we will be glad to get that scheduled. you got to do an interview first, but then we'll be, be baptizing you. But here it is. This and then this. What is this? The old man is dead, but the Holy Spirit made him alive. It's a picture. And you are alive in Christ when you accept him. But here's the thing. If you don't feel any conviction, if you don't ever, if this is your way of life, this is your pattern of behavior. I don't care if you grew up in this church. I don't care. I don't care what you went to. South Lake Christian Academy, I don't care, you know, if you're homeschooled, you know, all those things. Every one of us at some point has to decide what we're going to do with truth. We listen for the Holy Spirit saying, that's you. And I want you to go from death to life. Number three, our condemned flesh will destroy us morally, spiritually, relationally, and personally because it is a place of death and decay due to the fall. Our condemned flesh will destroy us first here, but also for eternity. Here's why I say this. Sometimes we think God is trying to keep us from having a good time and enjoying. No, no. God has, as good as this can be, it gets even better in eternity. But I want to say this. God is simply saying, I've created all these wonders for you, and you will not live fully outside of my protective plan. You'll eventually destroy yourself socially, morally. You'll be a drunk. You'll be a drug addict. You'll be in prison. You'll be broken. Or even if you survive that, eventually you'll be apart from me in hell for eternity. Know me. Love me. There's protection there. Number four. A characteristic of redemption is freedom from these sins because we're living under the control of the Holy Spirit who gives healing and life. Too often we look and say, I got to give that up. No, 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 no. You're looking at it wrong. You gained everything in Christ for Christ. 
And number five, the question is this. What does your walk say about who or what is in control of your life? The whole theme of this message is this. When you walk in the spirit, you have the characteristics of the life living. Don't be a dead man walking. Don't act like a dead man. Don't love the things that dead people shouldn't care about. (laughs) Instead, love the things that God has prepared for you and want you to live by. But it's incumbent upon us to look at the way we're walking and asking ourselves intrusive questions. Like, is this worthy of the Spirit of God that lives within me? My mama used to say it to me over and over and over again. She'd say, Dan, your walk talks and your talk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. So I think this verse here this morning and the verse next week is so that we'll look deep into our hearts and say, what is my walk saying? I hope it's not saying you're walking like a dead man. Let's walk in the spirit this week. In a moment, we're going to stand And I want to invite you to do a couple of things. First of all, take a moment while we sing this last song before we leave and say, God, what did you need me to hear? In what areas of my life am I walking like a dead man? God loves you. He's calling you to something better. So enjoy it and give it to him. Remove the idol from the shelf and burn it. Give it to him. But you might say, but Dan, I don't know for sure I'm going to heaven. I got to tell you, I'm not sure. Here's the good news. That may be God calling you into a relationship with him. Come see me. Come talk to one of our elders. Steve, right here, who read our scripture, would love to talk to you. We've got other elders in this room right now. Or pastors. Talk to Trey. Talk to Ben. Talk to one of the folks that will be wearing a red lanyard that says, can I pray for you out in the lobby? But don't go to your car until you've said, I want to talk to somebody. You want to meet this week? We'll have coffee. You want to come by our office? Let's do that. You want us to come to your house? We'll do that. If you want to go over to this prayer room, we'll sit down and we'll talk. We're not going to force you, pressure you, push you in any way. We can't. It wouldn't do any good if we could. But we would like to open the Bible and show you how much God loves you and what it means to be alive in Christ. I urge you to do that. But let's all look at our life and say, God, what did you want me to hear this morning? It's a tough sermon. I get it. And thank you for being patient with me. But what is it God wanted you to take out of here? Walk worthy of the calling that God has placed on your life because you're in the spirit. Let's stand. Father, we love you. Thank you for your word. Father, use this to convict me. And there's far too many times when I don't walk worthy of the calling that you placed upon my life as one of yours. So Father, help us to walk with awareness. As you said, walk circumspectly, looking around, paying attention, thoughtfully. And help us, Father, to live more like you. Help us to walk in the Spirit, not like dead men. And Father, let the difference that you make in our life be a testimony of salt and light to all who would see. Not how good we are, but how good you are. And how faithful you are. So Father, let us be a church that is a lighthouse in our community that stands for right and truth. Father, let it begin with me. For it's in your name I pray. Amen.